When you're best friends with the founder of the Lubbock County Militia, you get your own radio show. It's The Other Side of Texas with Jay Leeson. On the other side of Texas, history has its place. On the other side of Texas, justice rules the case. They don't like it, they don't love it. They say we're all wrong, but on the other side of Texas, hoss, we roll along. Hey, how about that? Welcome, welcome for tuning in, and thanks for telling a friend that you hang out on the other side of Texas. That's my friend Weston Taylor. If you hadn't heard that yet, pretty talented dude. Thank him for doing some intro music for us here on Other Side of Texas. I'm your host, Jay West Texas Leeson. Across the way, Queen Catherine, this radio empire will be hers one day, broadcasting from the studios where Buddy Holly became famous right here at KRFE AM 580. Lots of things to get into today. Um, and I'm not sure where I quite want to begin. Yeah, there's some state stuff. Ross Ramsey, the professor, he's so great, Ross Ramsey. I, I love Ross Ramsey. He'll be coming up here in about 15 minutes. And then the Balmeray Pool. The spring-fed pool in Balmeray has been shut down because the concrete retaining walls are faltering. And we were supposed to go there. We have this father-daughter camp out, and we try to go to all these cool places. And the pool at Balmeray has been shut down as of like two or three days ago. Hmm. And now we can't go. And uh, my little daughter is upset about it. A whole lot of little girls are upset about it. But somebody who can tell us what this is about, and it's a, I mean, Balmeray is a community of, I think, of like 520 people. Mm-hmm. And this is a big tourist thing for them. And now that the pool is shut down, this is a great other side of Texas story. So the editor and owner of the Jeff Davis County Mountain Dispatch. Bob Dillard be joining us at 535 here on the show to talk to us about what they think happened, what may be the problem, and all sorts of theories out there. Like, well, this thing was built in the 1930s. We hadn't done anything to protect it. Two, well, it's the fracking that's shaking up the ground in the counties westward. And there are people who swear by both accounts. So those are sorts of things that we're going to get into here, you know, something I'm going to start talking about because it's on my mind because I'm going to look at it inside and out. If you had to go to a statewide, if a statewide publication said, okay, we want the story here, we want the scoop on what's going on with the Texas Tech Vet School and A&M's opposition to it because it makes for good good story, especially Aggies versus Red Raiders and, you know, all the stuff it begins to drum up. Uh, you have to go through this timeline and it's really really complicated the timeline and then you have to you can't presume what the motives are on A&M's side uh, with opposing the vet school that they are uh, the way that they are but I've had to go through and draw out this whole timeline about what's going on there and and then to try to write it in 800 words which may seem like a lot but it's not. It's not not enough to really tell the story of what's going on. So I've got some questions there as I've begun to write through this and think through it on my rough draft. And 
I don't know if I'll get to it today, uh, but A&M says that they're putting $90 million into the panhandle. And I don't understand. I know why they're saying it. Because John, there's a great Texas Monthly feature on John Sharp. John, I think it's called Sharp in Charge. It's from a year or two ago. It's a really well-written piece by the Texas Monthly. And it shows you the kind of acumen that John Sharp, the chancellor at Texas A&M, has. The Texas A&M system has. And uh, he's a, he's been doing politics for 40 years. And so you've got this great battle. And I know that people at Tech and people at A&M don't want to make this about Sharp versus Duncan. But that's essentially why these big universities hire who they hire. Because... They want a sharp who knows that legislature and how to whip the legislature because that's where all this stuff happens. And then you want a guy like Duncan who may not whip, but he is like this were a poker game. Duncan is the master of the slow play. And Queen, as you get into college, you'll see this more and more. But there are two ways of playing poker. There's the slow play, and then there's the fast play. And what you have is Duncan knowing that he's got the cards because the higher board of education is behind him. The the numbers are behind him. A lot of ag groups are behind him with this vet school thing. And he knows that he's got the boat. The full barn, as it were in West Texas nomenclature as it relates to poker in the full house. But on the other side, you got Sharp, who knows that he's got money. And, you know, I think in 2016, the Texas Tribune reported that Texas A&M got an allocation. They call it allocated university funds, but it means the public university fund. They got $300 million, and that's West Texas oil. Uh, and lands in West Texas to which A&M and Texas have access. And so Texas got $600 million out of which they can build all the buildings they want to on their 40-acre. Like, at what point does the University of Texas at Austin go Jetsons and, like, begin to stack up like a four-tier city on top of itself so that it becomes like 160 acres? Mm-hmm. And that's their problem is that it's... um that they are just secluded to 40 acres but a&m's got all this growth because it's just wide open spaces anyway back to that guess who gets one not one dollar not one cent from the puff fund or allocated from the puff fund and that's texas tech and so it sets up (coughs) excuse me sets up this situation where uh tech is playing the slow play and A&M is running this fast play, trying to get ahead of Texas Tech. And, you know, I may say the, the 90 million, because that's going to be the proof in the pudding, how they're putting this 90 million together. But Sharp says this, you know, I'm trying really hard to get John Sharp on the program, and I will give him a fair hearing, and I'll be delighted to have him on the air. But, I can understand why he would not want to come on radio in Lubbock's backyard and discuss all this, uh, especially with, I mean, I've, I've been at times snidey towards Sharp because I think that uh, this hullabaloo-baloo stuff at A&M gets in, in his way of seeing what's best for the state. But 
they have a ton of money, and I think that they get in this situation where they think that they will keep an effective monopoly on vet sciences, and there there's a conversation that needs to be had. But what they use is pipeline argument, and that's what I was about to get to. Like these guys who run uh, these consultants, which effectively run everything now in Texas. Everything's consulting. And these consultants change up their jargon all the time. And one of the the things that they... Like they used to say vouchers. They don't say vouchers anymore. What do they say now? They say school choice. And I think that Sharp has been wise. He changed his language about a year ago and said, uh, we want to create a superhighway between Canyon to recruit kids to Canyon and then we're going to ship them down to College Station. Once they get their undergrad, we'll shoot them down to do their veterinarian PhD super duper stuff at A&M. And we'll create this pipeline. Well, guess what the University of Texas did in the 1960s? They said, well, look, we'll recruit West Texas guys and gals from the Panhandle, from the Cap Rock, and from the Basin. We'll bring them down to Austin. We'll teach them how to become a doctor we'll give them their doctorate and then we'll send them back up to that part of the country well guess what never happened it never happened the pipeline never works and so sharp has switched away from this pipeline language to super highway language and it's all a battle for the 86 legislature and all i'm trying to do you can't handle the truth that's all i'm trying to do is just put the truth out there and show people this is what's going on i want to give them a fair hearing and then but i think at the end of the day through everything i've looked through even if i and i dare say this even if i lived in college station i would look at all this and say i think tech's right we're we're never going to create a super highway they aren't going to be able to do doctorate programs at west texas a&m so Let's just let tech handle this whole thing. And that's where I want to leave it for today because the real, the other question that legislators are going to have is, are you really putting $90 million in the panhandle? And I just don't see how that's the case. I'm going to leave that for tomorrow, leave you hanging there. But that vet school, this is other side of Texas, and we are broadcasting out of Lubbock County. So I want to handle something right now in May because it's a cold war right now between A&M and, and Texas Tech and and Texas Tech and folks in Amarillo on how this is going to go. And I think that it's going to be, Amarillo says a $76 million economic driver every year. $76 million. So there's a lot of skin in the game at this point. And I think that's why the Amarillo Economic Development Corporation came forward and put, put up the backstop is what I how I refer to it the backstop on the remaining balance to the 90 million I think it was like 69 million that they put up and said okay if we don't get any more donations then we're going to pay for the remaining 69 and it might have been 65 I'll go back to, I'm doing all this ad ad lib off the top of my head um so uh, transition this day in Oh, I called Greg Stevens today. I hope that he calls me back. I want to try to get an LPD guy mm-hmm. on our Monday shows. An LPD guy who has been patrolling 
the depot district in Lubbock. Mm -hmm. Maybe even East Lubbock. Maybe South Lubbock. Central Lubbock. Somewhere. (laughs) I want to get a guy on Mondays. And we just do a segment, What Happened This Weekend? And like we do some promotion of like yeah. LPD and the kind of service they provide, but just the or if I can't get that, then an Uber driver who <laughs> works on Sundays between two and four a.m. Oh. Okay, so what happened? What's going on out there? How crazy have we gotten? And uh, to hear them talk about that, uh, that's something we're trying to nail down here. And I hope those of you who are listening on podcasts, we've worked really hard. Queen Catherine's got my back to figure out what the distortion is on the podcast. Gotten some feedback about it. Mm-hmm. Trying to help the fans. Wouldn't be here without you. And we think that we've gotten that figured out. Yes. Well, I guess we'll know at the end of today's show. Because yesterday's show. I got knocked off. We were just, you and I, after the show, were trying to get the recording. Mm-hmm. And then lightning struck. Yep. Power went out. Recording gone. So... Our apologies. It doesn't rain here that often, but um, that's what happened yesterday. This day in Texas history, 1898, Theodore Roosevelt drives up, rides up, I should say, rides up into San Antonio to lead the Rough Riders and to uh, recruit some guys. This day, 1898, Texas forever. Ross Ramsey is executive editor of the Texas Tribune. How are you doing, Ross Ramsey? I'm doing great. How are you, sir? I'm doing okay, except... There's something that's kind of grinding my gears right now, Ross, and I just need you to counsel me through it. You're my, you're my Texas politics counselor, so I'm going to sit down on the couch right now and tell I'm a you. A whisperer here, huh? Well, it's not whispering; it's just outright complaining, <laughs> belly aching. I sat down last night and watched the Democratic debate because it just became available for those of us who are not in the tri-city area in Texas, but. Mm-hmm. I've watched this thing between Lupe Valdez and Andrew White. And, Ross, I have seen, well, I've not seen, but I would say that if I saw a fourth-grade Lincoln-Douglas debate, it would have been more enrapturing. And and not even that, like, wind-eroding granite. Like, what was that? Why on a Friday night? And to me, Ross... A cannonball will not sink faster than Lupe Valdez. And if I'm Beto O'Rourke and I'm trying to put together a ballot, and he, I, in my estimation, he's this is a pretty loaded question, by the way, but in my estimation, he is trying to essentially restart a Democratic infrastructure in Texas. Why in the world would he want to be linked to Lupe Valdez, who, you know, I've got two or three examples here, but... Just questions where she can't get her decimal points right, and where she's saying that Texas schools closed down for hunt and politifact says no, you're wrong. Like we're going to shut. There are schools in Texas that shut down for hunting season. Okay, so let me just read because I'm really wound up about this. Number one, <laughs> the debate why on Friday. Number two, why will Beto O'Rourke not just come out and endorse Andrew White so he's not tied to this, what I think is going to be a Lupe Valdez disaster for the next five months? You know, the first thing on the Friday night deal is you go on whatever night that you can get both campaigns to agree to. Sometimes that's, um, you know, sometimes that's great, sometimes that's not great, but you go with what the candidates will sign off on. 
Uh, and it's not unusual to have them on Friday nights. You know, George Bush and Gary Morrow back in the day had their only debate on a football Friday night in the fall. So there's not much you can do about that if that's all the campaigns will do. I disagree a little bit with your assessment of um, Beto O'Rourke. I think he's not building a party. I think he's building a campaign. And the difference is that, you know, the Democrats and the Democratic Party, you know, are capable of worrying about themselves, and he's just trying to get his own campaign past Ted Cruz, and he's got the advantage of being at the top of the ballot and not having to worry about who's above him on the ballot and how they're performing. So, you know, I, I think his probably he's probably made the calculation that's not my race, I'm not going to get involved in it, and I don't want to come out of a small attention runoff election as a guy who intervened in another Democratic family fight. So just see who the nominee is and play it from there. It would be, you know, probably my guess at what he's thinking. It's it's a pretty small family, Ross. I mean, you could certainly <laughs> jump, certainly well, jump sure, but, in but, there. But, but the you know, there's a lot of races that people aren't weighing in on, even in the Republican side, maybe especially on the Republican side. I mean, yeah, there are, but, are a bunch of contests where you don't see Greg Abbott or Ted Cruz or Dan Patrick. There are some where you do. Um, but, you know, at this point in the game, you know, a lot of those guys are just laying low, wait for this to get by, and we'll worry about November when we've got the slate set. Well, but not Patrick. And, look, I would just run the inverse here. We're going completely off script, and you've been doing this 40 years, so we can do that. But the, I, always, I always love that. You send me a list of things to talk about. Yeah, and then... <laughs> we're going we're to come back around to it. They're just things that get my attention over the course of the day. But, like... Yes, Patrick's getting involved. He's lighting Joe Strauss up right now, saying that he's, quote, laundering money. Uh, one point, uh, you're Patrick Svitek, a million dollars in this cycle routed through the House Leadership Fund and Associate Republicans of Texas, to which, okay, well, you're tied with all, you know, I don't know what kind of accusations I want to make because I don't want you, you drag you down with me, like a cannonball, Ross. But Patrick's certainly involved. And I just, like O'Rourke may be building a campaign, but he's trying, just grinds, I just cannot understand. Like, if I'm O'Rourke, I clearly want Andrew White. If you're you're O'Rourke, you step outside of it for a minute and you say, does it help me to get involved in this other race, or is it at best a neutral move? And I would argue that it is at best a neutral move. And that getting into it could... Um, interfere with, you know, what he's really trying to do, which is trying to get elected. You know, you can do all of that party-building stuff, you know, as you will, but your main job is to get elected, and he's focused on that right now. Oh, I yeah. think, you know, I think um, getting involved in another race, I think every consultant in either party would tell you, stay out of that, mind your own beeswax, concentrate. Okay, Ross Ramsey, executive editor of the Texas Tribune, as we tarry on here. I, man, I just, I've talked to a lot of people, especially my brother lives in Wisconsin, talking with people up there, he's pretty well networked, and they all went for Trump because they said he's effectively a conservative Democrat, and I told Beto, had him on this show, and it was for the better part of an hour that we talked, and I said, look, you can't run a campaign to just like people who hate Trump, you need Trump voters he said i completely agree well i don't think many trump voters are going to be voting for lupe i mean that may be me but that i I don't see how that carries over (sighs) yeah i just i just think it's fraught with peril and he's probably better off staying out of somebody else's fight 
Okay, so in the 90s, we got all this money from cigarettes in Texas. I remember we were doing two things in high school. While I was buying Skull Fine Cut at the FINA station in Abernathy, there were two things going on. One, we were uh, putting in the lottery, and number two, we were suing the hell cakes out of cigarettes. We got $15 billion. Uh, the Attorney General announcing Monday that he'll go in on a lawsuit, that Texas will go in on a lawsuit against Big Pharma, where do you think that's going, Ross? you think it's a payday like $15 billion? You know, I don't know. Um, I know that the states have been very, very slow to come around on the pharmaceutical companies and to do much about the opioid crisis, particularly in this part of the country. In some other parts of the country, they've gone after them. But, you know, you have to climb quite a hill. You have to go through pharmacists and doctors and all of those barricades to getting something done. Um, I think in this case, they're just... Um, looking at it and saying this is ridiculous we need to see if there's some compensation for this and we need to protect these people and uh, I don't know what the financial rewards of that might be but the health rewards of that could be big so we don't know how big it's going to are you surprised that he went in because it seems to me like it's this tired argument of well personal responsibility and even whenever we had four price on the show chair of some super duper what select committee on opioids and something right. anyway he's running this interim commission and i asked him about uh whether or not we were going to sue as a state and he said well that's not really within our periphery and that drummed up this whole discussion off air on social media about no we shouldn't sue big pharma and there were a lot of conservatives making that argument and here's ken paxton a quote-unquote right. conservative launching this lawsuit were you surprised well not completely you know there's a couple there's a there's a sort of a standing argument in cases like this that uh, a health crisis like the opioid crisis ends up costing the state and state taxpayers money through you know the health services that they have to provide as a result of what's going on and if you find that something like that is caused by a disease you attack the disease and if you find that something like that is is attached or caused by or added to by a commercial concern then you shut it down as best you can in whatever way you can i'm not saying he wants to shut the companies down but he certainly wants to shut down some of these practices and this is how you do that you go to court and you say you know stop you know doing what you're doing and by the way you've cost us this much money and you owe us this much money and i you know there's a long standing sort of legal logic around that. I'm not sure what the attorney general is hoping for in the suit, but I would imagine he's trying to get, you know, a, a leash around the opioid problem as best he can, and he thinks he's found a bad actor here. Yeah, and for Price even said to us that Texas has had, this is what his committee's found, $350 million in unmet costs because of substance um, I think he even went into meth, but within the realm of opioids. And if you can uh, hang, if you can hang responsibility for that on someone, then it's sort of you know that's the American legal system. If someone caused you harm, go get them. Yeah, something a lot of people are interested, especially in rural Texas, all over rural Texas. Uh, in whatever direction is this speaker's race. And uh, a lot of people may not say it publicly, but hoping for a moderate candidate. Uh, today, 
is it today? Was it from your piece today or Monday? I think it was it today. It was today. Yeah. Uh, Dennis Bonin, Angleton, South Texas, says he's out, which was surprising to a lot of people. What would you make of, uh, did you talk with Bonin? Yeah, it was funny. I wrote a story about, you know, these are the names that are, there are four people who are signed up to be speaker. You know, you have to file papers so you can raise money, spend money, like campaign finance. And there are a bunch of shadow candidates and a bunch of people who either are asking members if they think they might have a chance or who are being mentioned by other members. So I did a column a few days ago that basically said, here are the four official candidates and here's a list of some of the unofficial candidates that we've heard members talk about or who talked about, you know, who were poking around themselves. And one of the people on that list was Dennis Bonin. And I was walking uh, across the Capitol grounds the other day with somebody, and this big black truck pulls up next to us and honks, and the window comes down, and there's Dennis Bonin, and he's smiling, but he says, take me off that list. And we got to talking, and I said, what's the deal? And he said, you know, it's not something that I really want. It's not something I want to do. It's certainly not something I'm campaigning for. I haven't, you know, I, I don't think my it would be good for my family. I went through this whole list of things, and, you know, we were... Uh, so I said, are you serious? Are you goofing around? And he said, no, I'm serious. And I said, well, you know, and then what came out of it was this column that you read this morning that basically said we now have a declared non-candidate. It also said, and this is no, you know, disrespect to anybody, especially Dennis Bonin, it also said, you know, he says he is out of this, but he's still in the circus. And, you know, I, I wouldn't hold it against anybody, and I wouldn't count it as a surprise to see someone who doesn't want to be in a race eventually get in a race. Classic case of that is we had a governor here named Rick Perry, who I believed and still believe when he said at the beginning of the 2012 cycle that he did not want to run for president. And he ended up in that presidential race because an opportunity presented itself and he just decided he'd be a fool not to try if it was right in front of him. Um, so he changed his mind. You know, that happens in politics, and I think, you know, with eight months left between now and the time they elect a speaker, it's entirely possible that people who are adamantly out of the race get in and people who are decidedly in the race get out. Yeah, but here's one. I've got two questions left for you. I'll give you a minute each. So fast. <laughs> We're going rapid fire here. I don't understand how these guys, like the unspokens that haven't come forward, Mm-hmm. There's horse trading going on, but technically they're not supposed to horse trade. Is that just a thing where people just look the other way? Like, I'm going to give you this committee and that committee and that committee. Would you back me? Like, That's sir, illegal. Illegal. What you, what, you just, what you described is against the law. And you cannot say in return for your support, I will give you something. That's straight-up legislative bribery. You can say... So there are artful ways to do that. You can say, you know, I'm not allowed... Jay, to say that you'd be the appropriations chairman if I was elected speaker. But well, I will sure, I'm, I'm all for you there, Speaker Ramsey. You're, you're, you're the kind of person that I'd be, I'd certainly be considering for that job. Nice. Okay. I mean, right. there's, there's a million ways to do that. Now, the trickery here is that these guys are all politicians, and you know, all's fair in politics, and these guys are all pros, so they shouldn't be surprised by each other. If I'm a speaker candidate, or better yet, if I'm a voter in this thing, and I've got a speaker telling me something like that, that I'd be the sort of person who'd be a good chair of this or that, I have to assume they're telling two or three or seven other people the same thing. Hmm. Okay. And, and really, you come down to, and, I, and you know, 
we've talked about this before, I think, come down to, I think it's more useful to talk to a psychiatrist than it is to talk to a political pundit in these things, because they're based on relationships and on personal ambition and on what each member thinks is going to be best and the best vote and the best leader for the people back in the district. I get worked up about all this stuff, and I know that Ross is coming on on Wednesday, so I can just sit down with my political therapist, my Texas political therapist, Ross Ramsey, and talk about it. Uh, last thing here, how much do you think uh, the price people, the four price people, wigged out when they read the first two words of your analysis? You run an analysis piece on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, texttribune.org. But how much do you think they wigged out whenever they saw the first three words being analysis, colon, for declared? Do you think uh, do you think anybody wigged out about that today? No. <laughs> okay. All right. He's a poor, poor price is a calm guy. Because I read that and immediately was like, oh, what? Why is Ross calling? First of all, why is Ford being called four in the Ross Ramsey column? But oh, my goodness, he's in. <laughs> The best way the best way to read a column is to set your coffee down, calm yourself, and then start reading. Okay. <laughs> I hope that's what people do with me. He is Ross Ramsey at Ross Ramsey on Twitter. Thank you, Ross. Always a pleasure. All right. So here's some trend like people like to listen because I shoot them straight. We're taking the girls down, me and a pack of dads, taking some girls down, our daughters down to fort davis and we're gonna have a great camping experience with them but we wanted to go to balmeray <laughs> and check out the pool mm-hmm. because we've always heard about this pool and it's going to be great and then two days ago guys were like well balmeray pools clo-. well why is it closed now we're trying to find a water source because it's going to be like 100 degrees Oof. a water source to go jump into but this balmeray thing it's a big tourist destination for a lot of people mm-hmm. in west texas and uh i came across bob dillard he runs the jeff davis county mountain dispatch it has for 28 years he went out and fed his heifers and found some time after publication today down there to come on the other side of texas bob dillard thanks for coming on you bet glad to, glad to help out so give folks an understanding of you've seen it firsthand like we see a lot of statewide reports about this but what's happening at Balmeray? well it's uh, it's a bad deal for uh, certainly this time of year because this is uh, obviously the tourist season it used to be open only in the summertime because it was it was just too cold to get in the water uh they would be open memorial day and close on labor day and because then finally it's spring they did away fed, with that spring fed water yeah, it's spring-fed water, and it's, uh, you know, it's like 70-degree um, water, and, and there's like 15 million gallons goes through there every day. So uh, it's, it's a constant movement of water, but uh, they, they uh, and historically have always emptied it out uh, once or twice a year just to do maintenance and check on it and do a little patchwork in the walls and whatnot. And this time when they drained it, um, in anticipation of another big summer, uh, they found that uh, it had begun caving in dramatically up underneath where the diving boards are. It's 25 feet deep at, at the deep end, and we're talking about a, a pool about an acre and a third. It's the largest in the world, spring-fed 
pool, uh, an acre and a third in size, and uh, um, suddenly they found uh, where it was it was just caving in on itself uh, up underneath underneath where the diving boards are. So that so the state uh, will bring in some structural engineers, et cetera, and take a look at what's going on. I, there's real conjecture, Jay, about whether or not uh, we're talking about some uh, you know there's there are plenty of folks who'll tell you that it's all it's all the fracking and all the uh, uh, um, water that's being taken out of the ground all the earthquakes so Reeves County suddenly uh, Balmoray is in Reeves County and I'm right next door in Jeff Davis County but Balmoray historically um, has uh, not had very much oil and, and gas business at all but suddenly it is booming and uh, suddenly there are lots of earthquakes um, and and uh, the, this just continues to happen. Uh, they're not huge. They're 2.3s and 2.6 and those kind of things. But, you know, you can look it up on the U.S. Geological Survey. They're, they're going on uh, weekly. And so there's a lot of conjecture. There's a lot of argument. Oh, well, it's all that damn fracking, and they're tearing up everything, and it's going to cave it all in. On the other hand, this was built in the 1930s. So there's another school of thought that says, you know, erosion, time, water, dirt, cement, uh, slowly it's just eroded to the point where it's, uh, it's now time for some major repairs. And unfortunately for you and your daughters uh, and your friends' daughters, it's going to be uh, maybe a year before they get this thing back up and running, so- which is... Uh, uh, as I say, a big tourist draw for uh, lots of folks, and um, certainly with the the growth of the oil field in West Texas, uh, you know, heck, you're from Lubbock. Uh, you know, all you got to have is a half inch rain, and the playas turn into party spots. So uh, that's kind of what Balmeray has become. It's become yeah. a great destination. So uh, we never really partied at the playas, but uh, <laughs> plenty plenty of mosquitoes at the playas. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, but Bob Dillard joining us here. He runs the Jeff Davis County Mountain Dispatch. I want to, do, do they, you say they drain it every year. So last year, I'm assuming mid-May, about this time, they drained it. Did they see this kind of structural damage then? Apparently not as severe as it is. I And I haven't heard anyone actually say that. Of course, uh immediately you begin to get uh, well you'll have to talk to austin and so uh, uh you know there uh, but a lot of the local guys are saying you know this is just a uh, long time coming it was built by the ccc back in the wpa days uh with a civilian conservation corps when and they came in and built a lot of this stuff at, at indian lodge in the davis mountain state park and at balmeray state park uh and the pool was built in those days so some of the concrete that's in there may date from uh, 1935. So, um, yeah, there's every chance that just the general movement of the, you know, the the, the ground itself would uh, would would create some of this problem. What are they? So, and then obviously, then you got 15 million gallons of water passing through there every day. So mm-hmm. there's, you know, it's it's long time coming. So probably were they. Was it state, uh, uh, was it core engineers that came in and looked at this, structural engineers from the state, or is it local guys that were doing No, routine? they haven't gotten here yet. The, the, the so state it was spending. local guys. So here's my question. How bad do you feel if you're a local guy and you call the thing off? 
Like you don't want your name in the Jeff Davis County Mountain Dispatch that you were the guy who called it all off. In a town of 530, uh, a state park near there, that you shut the whole thing down. Or do you feel like a hero? It's one or the other. Either you're wanting to get out of town and avoid shotgun shells and eggs, or you want to say, hey, I saved lives. Well, I would imagine they had some state guys come in from Austin to oversee uh, the work that was done, just the general patching that was done. I'm almost positive they had guys come in from Austin, and when they spotted it, of course, they're they're bureaucrats and they're a different breed of cats, so they're uh, <laughs> they're immediately going to call foul. And and uh, you know, uh, then then here we go with the liability issues of somebody getting hurt or or uh, you know, so. So it doesn't surprise me. But what is kind of sad is that the state has cut back. So the last uh, request in 2017 was for $600 million for all of our state parks for repairs, uh, just repairs, nothing new, just repairs. Wait, you say our state and, park. Time out, time out. Uh, is that down like Big Ben, no. Balmeray, Fort Davis, or across the well, state? Well, not, no, not Big Ben. I'm talking about San Saba and and uh, uh fort mccavitt and fort leighton and and uh, uh whatever you guys have got up at uh, okay. uh cap rock at matador and all up and through the, all the state parks together asked for 600 million to just do repairs and the state cut it uh pretty dramatically and then lopped off 40 million more here apparently earlier this year so there the the maintenance dollars are just not there for our state parks anymore and that's sad i mean people are going to have to say Hey, these are important, and we want uh, we want them taken care of, and we don't want them uh, uh, where we have to close them. So, so for uh, folks making summer plans, close indefinitely. Could it be a year? Is it going to be two years? How long do you think this is going to roll out, Bob Dylan? I, I, I was told today that it would be possibly a year. Now, the park itself will be open in that the uh, the lodge rooms have been renovated, and and they are beautiful. It's it's rock work done by really skilled artisans from new jersey or from wherever and from mexico and and all the furniture is made of of cedar that was cut in the mountains uh so that's all uh, for folks who haven't been down here and and seen either uh, indian lodge at davis mountain state park or at balmoray those are beautiful and they're great places to stay and and obviously you can do the camping thing and those kind of things you're just not going to be able to get in the pool so the park itself will be open but the pool will be off limits and uh, and believe me it has gotten so popular that in the last two years they've had to restrict the number of people that are allowed to come into the uh, pool area because it just got so crazy as i say the oil field you know you mix 104 five degree weather with a uh, little water and uh, some guys with a little time off in a in a case of beer and you've got a party at balmeray so uh, those days are I have created a real glut of people on the weekends, yeah. and of course, a lot of us can remember times when there might not be fifty people in that whole one point three or four acre pool. So, man, um, it's too bad that Big Ben Brewing Company doesn't have an ad in the show, and I could throw this in right now for them. <laughs> but uh, okay, well, we're going to keep hunting for a spot. Uh, appreciate you uh, updating us on what's going on in Balmeray. And, uh, you bet, and I will. I'll gladly help. But as you know, we're in West Texas. Water is a pretty precious commodity, so uh, uh, we're uh, there's just not a lot of not a lot of choices, not a lot of uh, 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 Plan B. 
So, yeah. Uh, so uh, tell tell me this. Give me a little guidance here for a second. I'll just only keep you a couple more minutes. But whenever I take no, no, off, fine. probably tomorrow after the show, and I drive down, what's the best place to stay in? Or give me a couple of places so it didn't sound like you're uh, running a running a travel agency here. But I drive well, down, I, like if I want to stay in Marfa, what's a good place to stay at? It's not going to cost me an arm and a leg. Uh, they're not but a couple of choices in Marfa. Same in Fort Davis. They're not but like three choices in Fort Davis. There's uh, Indian Lodge is still closed. Now, it's going to open next month, but it is being renovated. And, and that's uh, Fort Davis. Uh, this, yeah, that's in Fort Davis. That's at Davis, Davis Mountain State Park. Uh, there's the Hotel Olympia. There's the Stone Village uh, uh, Hotel. And uh, there is uh, another uh, Fort Davis Inn, which are the three choices in Fort Davis, basically. And uh, in Marfa is the... Uh, Hotel Paisano um, and the Thunderbird, and that's it in Marfa. Well, no, there's one out on the highway. I forgot about it, uh, out on the Alpine Highway. So um, pretty limited. Now, I'll tell you this, uh, in Pecos and Balmeray, you not get a room. Uh, oil fields got them all. Um, it's just totally impossible. Uh, Pecos is like Midland and Odessa and Monaghan's. They're building, they're building two new hotels uh, in Pecos as we speak. Uh, and they've already got like four or five new ones. So, um, and and there's there are thousand man man camps in Toya, and Pecos, and Barstow, and those kind of towns. There are these guys are getting seven hundred and fifty and eight hundred dollars a month to park your RV. Hmm. So <laughs> it's insane. Wow. Well, <laughs> a lot of folks with their hands out. <laughs> I'm just expecting that I'll be able to get me a Jeff Davis County Mountain Dispatch at the restaurant. I will save you one. At. I will do that. <laughs> All right. Well, Bob Dillard, we appreciate you coming on, buddy. Giving us some uh, don't to listen to the statewide guys. Go straight to the source, Bob Dillard. And uh, we look well. forward to having you on again soon. Hopefully, not about something that's going to shut down tourism. Uh, I understand. To the yep. extent well, that this is. I look forward to seeing you this weekend then. All right. Okay. Thank you, Bob. Right. Thanks for taking time. You bet. Uh-huh. And say, I've been doing this 10, uh, about 10% of the time that he's been doing it. But make no mistake about it. Greg Abbott and Ted Cruz are going to run hip and hip in this campaign. And nobody has a larger treasure chest of political contributions than Greg Abbott. And I'm not speaking from either side. I'm just trying to give a straight down the line analysis here and say that if Cruz is in trouble with Beto, then I can guarantee you what's going to happen is Abbott's people are going to say, well, Lupe Valdez said this, like she was off by uh, $4 billion in her estimate. Or she said something as dumb as there are school districts. In, like, 60 years ago, school districts did close down. They closed down so that kids could go help with the harvest. That was 60 years ago, before 
machinery caught up with us and before tom joad had to leave the 40 acres okay that was that was 60 now that's not the case but lupe valdez still makes these arguments and in some way trying to appeal to what i deem is like anti-gun folks that yeah can you believe that we're still sponsoring this through education like this first of all it's bogus and secondly you're bogus and thirdly you need to go away and she's gonna sink and guess what they're gonna do Beto O'Rourke, if I were drawing a cartoon right now, Beto O'Rourke walking around, ball and chain, politically, and on the ball, I would write Loopy. That's his problem. So, with due respect to Ross, he's probably right, but I'm just going to throw out my intuition that that's what's going to happen. Hey, the, I want to thank uh, David. Our friend David on social media saying today that um, we put out our weekly, every week we put out a, a newsletter on OtherSideOfTexas.com. All you have to do is go there and subscribe. We will not sell your email address. Just go there and subscribe and you'll get a weekly review of what we covered. And it's put together in a pretty professional way. I say pretty professional, but it's put together in a professional way. And you won't miss a beat on things that have been written, things that we've talked about on air. And uh, he, uh, David saying, I don't always agree with Jay Leeson, but he's one of the people I know I'm going to get the truth from. Check out OSTX, Other Side of Texas. And uh, hey, that's fair. I don't agree with myself all the time, for sure. So I appreciate the criticism. And the compliment. Uh, this day in 1898, Theodore Roosevelt arrived in San Antonio. This the San Antonio Express News today. To lead the Rough Riders. On a fair weather Monday morning when Theodore Roosevelt arrived in San Antonio, Texas via the Southern Pacific Railroad and on May 16, 1898, the Harvard graduate from a wealthy East Coast family was a far cry from the Rough Riders legend he is championed for today. News of his arrival made the pages in the San Antonio light, as did a plethora of changes. Some of you guys, some of you guys think I'm going to bite on that light thing. I'm not doing it. As did a plethora of details, cataloging military matters and troop movements throughout the country. And throughout May 1898, the light reports gave special attention to the flood of volunteers arriving in San Antonio and across the country to train in the regiment that would fight in the Spanish-American War. Now, this is before Don King. This is before major promoters. If you need people to take up a Spanish-American War, where are you going to go? to San Antonio. Before the catalytic sinking of the U.S. battleship Maine off the coast of Cuba, Roosevelt was an East Coast notable from wealthy family, esteemed family. He was a Harvard College graduate, a budding politician, and prolific man of letters and assistant secretary of the Navy, of the Navy. yet he had no combat experience to speak of. As headlines ran throughout the country on the formation of the first volunteer cavalry regiment applicants poured in from all over and roosevelt seized the opportunity and joined the adventure oh 
the Rough Riders rode, rode out of San Antonio on May 28th, making their way to Cuba by way of Florida for battle. There, Roosevelt led his troops in the legendary charge up the San Juan Hill, thus clinching his prestigious notoriety in military history, which he leveraged in subsequent command posts and eventually his presidency. Now, I've read a, a Roosevelt biography, and I can't remember. I'll try to mention this tomorrow. I did read the whole thing. I loved it, and I just cannot remember who it was. But, man, Roosevelt, that's my kind of populist right there. I mean, that guy's awesome. And how he would discipline himself. And I took this up myself. Put a post note on the mirror. It, Roosevelt always wanted constancy from himself. Constancy. To be hard driven all the time. And, uh, hey, uh, this day in history. Thought it was worth bringing up here. And, gosh, got my, my trip planned out with Bob Dillard. How great is that? know the hotels i'm going to call after the show and uh speaking after the show it looks like it's about that time uh, on facebook you can find us other side of texas twitter at ostx show other side of texas.com again go subscribe there i will say that next tuesday in studio mike collier who's running for lieutenant governor former republican now democrat will be in studio with us He's running against Dan Patrick, Lieutenant Governor. He'll be with us on next Tuesday. Also, have some things to say in the next couple of days. More to say about the Lubbock County Commissioner's Court and what a dumpster fire I think it's about to become. Just mark my words. And I'll do a little plug for Queen Catherine's dad in the morning, Wade Wilkes program, debate between Curtis Parrish and Gary Bourne right here on AM 580. I don't, uh, there's going to be some back and forth, and uh, I don't think they're going to be holding back on each other. So, until tomorrow's show, I'm going to go home, get home to an above average dinner because I'm cooking and a great family. And uh, until next time, thank you for tuning in and thank you for telling a friend that you hang out on the other side of Texas. See you online. Before we see you on air, thanks for tuning in. Appreciate you so much. The gas is sky high. And I don't like the way the stocks are down. And I ain't into Bluetooth.